Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Daybreak here for this Wednesday, the 17th of May in London. Coming up today, don't bank on it. Wall Street gets a China reality check. Not quite dancing on the ceiling. Biden and McCarthy voice cautious optimism on a debt deal. Paper profits, UBS gets a $35 billion gain from its Credit Suisse takeover. Closer cooperation on cross-channel migration. The CBI looks to rebuild trust. And Starmer said we should build on the green belt. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers. And I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus, lawmakers look to shift the odds on crypto. MPs call for trading and digital currencies to be regulated, just like gambling. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Caroline Hetke. Let's go to our top stories. US banks have spent billions of dollars trying to stake a claim on China's $60 trillion financial market. But a Bloomberg investigation has found that many are now quietly scaling back their ambitions. Bloomberg's Valerie Titel has the full story. Wall Street giants are cooling on the world's second largest economy as they factor in rising geopolitical risk. Goldman, Bank of America and J.P. Morgan are among those cutting exposure, new ventures and headcounts in China. Liz Truss is currently in Taiwan is just the latest sign of the growing friction. The former U.K. prime minister framed the divide as a clash of civilizations. You here in Taiwan know what the threat is. It's tyranny instead of freedom. It's control, not choice. It's arbitrary decisions made rather than proper justice. Despite Truss's comments on control, China recently moved to allow foreign firms full ownership of financial services. Yet that hasn't stopped raids on consultancies conducting due diligence for global investors. In London, Valerie Titel, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Now, the debt ceiling talks are ramping up in the U.S. after a meeting between President Biden and the House Speaker McCarthy. The latest round of negotiations will feature a narrower group of people in the hopes that it yields a deal to avert an unprecedented U.S. default. While there is still clear water between the two sides, the president says that he's cautiously optimistic. We just finished another good productive meeting with our congressional leadership about a path forward to make sure that America does not default on its debt. There's still work to do. But I made it clear to the speaker and others that we'll speak regularly over the next several days and the staff's going to continue meeting daily to 
make sure we do not default. Biden's comments were echoed by uh, Kevin McCarthy, who says that a deal is possible within days, although both sides are still far apart. The Treasury says that the country could default as soon as the 1st of June if the debt ceiling is not lifted. After 10 months of consecutive rate rises, divisions are starting to emerge between Fed policymakers on when to stop. The Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby told Bloomberg's Michael McKee that it was the strangest business cycle in history. Inflation is down and continues to make progress. It's not as fast as we wanted it to or we expected it to be. And therein lies the that that's the nub of the of the issue of can you get it down more without starting a recession? Because we have a dual mandate. We got to look at employment and inflation. Austin Goolsby is a voting member on the FOMC this year, as is the New York Fed chief John Williams and the Dallas president Laurie Logan. They all say that coming data is going to be extremely important as the central bank tries to assess if it has done enough to tame inflation. UBS says that its emergency takeover of Credit Suisse could boost its bottom line by $35 billion this quarter, as well as the massive accounting gain. UBS says that it is projecting billions in potential legal and regulatory costs. The boost to profits comes from negative goodwill, which many investors consider an accounting quirk. So that on UBS. And just lastly, here in the UK, crypto trading should be regulated like gambling. That's according to the Treasury Select Committee, Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports now. Investing in crypto assets like Bitcoin should be treated like gambling. That's the view of MPs on the Treasury Select Committee. The cross-party group has strongly recommended the changes for retail investors, warning that cryptos are highly volatile and have, quote, no intrinsic value. The proposal comes after a months-long inquiry and runs counter to the government's stated plan to regulate digital coins like traditional financial services. Data from HMRC shows around 10% of UK adults hold or have held crypto assets. The report also criticises the government for spending public resources on supporting crypto activities and singled out a plan now scrapped by the Royal Mint for an NFT. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Those are a few of our top stories for you this morning. I also thought that it was quite interesting um, that the regulator, the FCA, is talking about how many more Britons are in difficulty because of loans and rising inflation. So they've uh, picked out that there are 10.9 million people who have found it tough to meet their obligations, i.e. bills and credit card payments. Um, so the number of people struggling to, to pay those has risen by 40%. So the FCA has issued quite a a number of reminders to banks to try to treat customers fairly if they run into difficulties. But I think those uh, figures are pretty staggering that so many people now are finding it very difficult in the last three to six months actually to meet uh, their obligations. This, as you contrast it to another story that we have on the terminal, the gap between rich and poor countries has widened so much uh, given COVID. It now takes $12.5 million to be amongst Monaco's wealthiest. Compare that to the US. You just need 5.1 million to be in the top 1% to make the cut there. Uh, but uh, the research by Knight Frank shows just uh, how much different countries are showing You know that widening gap between rich and poor nations. Anyway, a few stories that I found of interest this morning. Let's move on though and talk about Bloomberg's big take today, which tackles, I think, the biggest issue issue in global finance and geopolitics today, which is the role of China. 
Wall Street firms seem to be giving up on any hope of significant inroads into China's financial markets. Quite remarkable, let alone hoping for any outsized profits. Only two years ago, foreign funds started to call China uninvestable, but President Xi Jinping seemed to want to lure them back with market-friendly reforms. Now Wall Street seems to be waking up to a souring business climate. China's state-owned enterprises dominate in domestic banking, insurance, asset management. Joining me now to discuss is our Bloomberg Opinion columnist, Shirley Ren. Shirley, good morning. Lovely to have you on the programme. You've written in depth about this issue in such interesting ways, but it does seem that Wall Street is... um, sort of has been nursing this hope about China for a long time and now they're finally giving up on that. Do you think that's true? I think that's largely true. I mean, look at uh, a decade ago, 2014, right? That was when Alibaba went public in New York uh, with a $25 billion capital raise. That that was hundreds of millions of uh, investment banking fees. So they, they've been trying to get the China business since then, since basically 2014, 2015. And it seems like uh, the business is not coming their way. And it's very unfortunate. Like if you look at like uh, China's uh, stock market, it actually is the world's busy. IPO market right now. I mean, we know US, there are no IPOs. But in China, we this year alone, we see over 100 deals and uh, raising more than 25 million, uh, 25 billion uh, in IPO money. But the Wall Street banks, they're just not getting any of that business. But I suppose, um, you know, you see the latest crackdowns on consulting firms, now also on capital flows via online brokerages. I mean, you've written a piece recently, uh, you know, that seems so prescient. Don't bother investing in China unless you are Chinese. I mean, the, the difficulties are quite clear, aren't they, to foreign investors? Yeah, like, uh, let, let me just talk about like uh, IPO. If you're an IPO banker, you have to do due diligence, right? And the government uh, makes uh, investment bankers personally responsible if the, the company turns out to be a complete flop. But the kind of companies that go public in China these days are these so-called industrial tech companies that do like, I, I mean, semiconductors, smart manufacturing. And this kind of companies, they can be uh, for due purposes, right? Commercial and possibly military. And it's very hard for Wall Street foreign banks to go in and say, okay, I'm going to do due diligence on, I don't know, facial recognition software or robotics. Um, it's very tough. So basically it's the mainland China Chinese banks doing this kind of work. What does it mean, surely, to have China now increasingly in its own financial bubble? I think uh, uh, as long as uh, President Xi Jinping continues with this industrial push, uh, basically at this point, only domestic banks, especially SOE banks, are there to finance this uh, industrial push. Because for everyone else, there is the danger of, uh, you know, infringing upon China's uh, national security risk or whatever Mm. they call it. I mean, having said that, of course, Wall Street has spent years in these joint partnerships, um, but Wall Street expertise isn't needed any longer. Not so much. I mean, some Wall Street banks have done very well, like UBS. They had a, a, a joint venture with China for many years, right? And they, they have done a lot of uh, trade flows uh, through the Hong Kong, Shanghai Stock Connect. They have done well. But the problem is all these Wall Street banks, they have hired very, very aggressively. So now they have to pay back quite aggressively too. It's not unlike what we saw with the, uh, the big tech companies. If you hire too aggressively in the past, uh, when, the, uh, when the reality does not turn out as well, you have to lay off a lot of people too. 
Yeah, absolutely. A last thought, Shuli, what it means for Europe and the UK then. I mean, we've largely talked about, you know, the relationship between the world's two biggest players, but there are others, you know, I mean, perhaps the UK is a minnow in comparison, but I mean, I think worth understanding what are the implications then for businesses out of Europe, the UK? Europe's tried to position itself differently to the US vis-a-vis Beijing. I mean, uh, uh, Beijing definitely likes uh, Europe more than you uh, than the U.S. and they they do eye uh, some of the technologies, especially in Germany, uh, and they hope that they can import some of that technologies. But I do think Europe is walking a very tight road. Uh, U.K., for instance, have been talking about you know um, warming up its relations uh, with Hong Kong in in recent weeks, right? And uh, but but me being based in Hong Kong, I just feel like uh, the, the Hong Kong economy is working closer and closer to China. And we don't really need that much of uh, uh, collaboration with the UK anymore. Okay. Shuli, thank you so much uh, for being with me this morning. Okay. Uh, salient points. Bloomberg Opinion columnist Shuli Ren. On our big take then today, tackling, well, the, one of the biggest issues in global finance and geopolitics, uh, the relationship between the US and China when it comes to uh, big banking business. Coming up next closer cooperation on cross-channel migration. The CBI looks to rebuild trust and Keir Starmer says we should build on the green belt. Now, the paper review on Bluebird Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. So, The Guardian has the headline, the CBI points at Chief People Officer as it aims to, quote, rebuild trust. Leanne Gerens is with me this morning. So we followed, obviously, the travails of the Confederation of British Industry, the biggest lobby group in the UK. What's the latest? Yes, indeed, Caroline. So we'll start off with that one at the moment. So Elizabeth Wallace, a former headhunter for BackRock, has actually joined the Confederation of British Industry as the Chief People Officer, as you just said. Now, the scandal-hit CBI has made this appointment... And this is in an attempt to overhaul the lobby group's internal culture after the series of sexual misconduct allegations we have spoken about a lot in the newspaper review. And this was first reported by the Guardian newspaper. And now they're bringing this news to us. Now, Wallace will take up the new role as part of the executive committee and she will report on workplace conduct and cultural issues directly to the board. Now, we know that the CBI also has as a new director general, Rain Newton-Smith, and she says the new role for Wallace will be integral to reforming our people's strategy. So this is all about reform, and we know that this is really important for the lobby mm. group because more than 50 large businesses, including the likes of John Lewis and Nat West, have suspended or cancelled their membership in the last month after The Guardian's publication of a series of allegations of sexual misconduct. So a big turnaround here for the lobby group. That is what they're looking for. Yeah, at least uh, attempting to to do that. Uh, The Financial Times says the UK and EU agreed to collaborate over cross-channel migration. This is a real flashpoint in UK politics. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. The EU and UK will collaborate on curbing irregular migration across the English Channel and really, Caroline, in a further sign of warming relations after years of post-Brexit tensions. So 
Brussels and London will negotiate a deal to exchange intelligence, expertise and also personnel. And this will really be to combat smugglers after six months of deadlock over the plan. So Rishi Sunak, Ursula von der Leyen, they've both welcomed the idea of London working with Frontex. Now, that's the EU border agency. And this all happened at a meeting on the sidelines of the Council of Europe Summit, Caroline, which is in Iceland. So Rishi Sunak was there and this appears to be what he's saying. We also saw him talking there yesterday in Iceland and he said he's pushing for reforms to court orders which have blocked deportation flights to Rwanda, which has been very controversial here. Once again, on the immigration discussion, that is a flashpoint if we really want to look at it that way. But yesterday's yeah. announcement marks this significant step up in Europe-wide efforts to tackle the problem of migration together. Yeah, I think the Prime Minister is sort of trying to make this a European issue, um, you know, one that affects all countries rather than just the UK. But I think the big date is going to be the 25th of May, isn't it, when we get the independent data actually on migration um, flows, such as it is anyway. Uh, let's just end, though, on the Times. Uh, the headline there, Keir Starmer, Labour will rebuild working class dream of owning a home. How much of an appeal will that have to voters? Well, Caroline, the Times leads with this story saying Keir Starmer is going to vow to make the Labour Party the house building party by relaxing planning restrictions and really allowing more homes to be built on the green belt. So he's been speaking to the Times, interviews in the newspaper, and the Labour leader has taken the sort of chant and the barb to accuse the Conservatives of killing the aspiration of home owning for a whole generation. We know how difficult it is to get on the property ladder. It mm. is tough and there is a shortage of houses. Now, he's also warned that house building was on course to fall to its lowest level and that's since the Second World War. He said that Labour would give local authorities and residents more power to build on the green belt and to meet local housing needs. So that's what he really wants to do. It's a whole reform, really, when it comes to house building and planning permission. Now, mm. I just have to say one thing. In a super stark contrast to this, a Conservative government has really said it's going to pledge to enhance protections for green belt land. And Bloomberg's Joe Mays and Ellen Milligan, they have a really good story on the Bloomberg terminal today. Really interesting. And they're saying that the opposition to more home building really comes largely from Conservative MPs in rural seats who are arguing that more development threatens the environment and the whole aesthetic of our countryside. So here we see the Labour and the Conservatives a complete polar opposite when it comes to what to do about the shortage of homes and the dream of owning your own. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a hugely important uh, issue, uh, both in terms of the built environment, but also for voters. Thank you so much uh, to Leanne Gerrans for our newspaper review. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.
You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.